0: From Psalm 136, give thanks to the Lord for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Give thanks to the God of gods for his steadfast love endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord of lords for his steadfast love endures forever. And in verses 10 to 12, to him who struck down the firstborn of Egypt for his steadfast love endures forever and brought Israel out from among them. For his steadfast love endures forever. With a strong hand and an outstretched arm, his steadfast love endures forever. Father, this psalm uh, could not be more clear as a reminder, um, a full half of it, that your steadfast love endures forever. And if it were not for your steadfast love, we would have no love in our hearts for you whatsoever, not even for a flicker of a moment. So, Father, we thank you for what you have done to choose a people, to make a people for your own possession, for your own glory, putting your mercy on display, your glory on display among the nations. And Father, would you be glorified even in this hour with this little band of your followers? Would you be glorified in the explanation of Ezekiel? And we pray it in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. All right. Um, so we almost got done with Ezekiel 11 last week, and so we're going to finish that up very quickly, and then we're going to um, have a quick flyover of chapters 10 through, or sorry, 12 through 24, uh, and then we're going to get on the tour bus, and uh, we are going to fly by, drive by a, a bunch of this. You'll get a chance to take some pictures. And, uh, and uh, But not to get out and smell the flowers, but we'll have a few bus stops along the way as we, uh, Lord willing, get through Ezekiel 12 uh, to 24. But if you aren't there already, go to Ezekiel 11. We got to verses 14 to 21, and that's all the further we got last week. And this really just needs to be seen and read because in the midst of the judgment that God is preparing to unleash on Jerusalem, He gives them reminders of His saving and keeping and restoring hand. And this is one of those. We just don't want to miss it. So, starting in verse 14 of Ezekiel 11. And the word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, your brothers, even your brothers, your kinsmen, the whole house of Israel, all of them, are those Of whom the inhabitants of Jerusalem have said, Go far from the Lord. To us, this land is given for a possession. So, first, I just want you to see God is now telling Ezekiel, Your kinsmen, Israel, are the exiles. The people in Jerusalem, no longer Israel. They are rebellious people. I have turned my hand away from them. You are now Israel, scattered. These are your kinsmen, uh, scattered to the nations. Verse 16, Therefore say, thus says the Lord God, though I removed them far off among the nations and though I scattered them among the countries, yet I have been a sanctuary to them for a while in the countries where they have gone. Therefore say, thus says the Lord, I will gather you from the peoples and assemble you out of the countries where you have been scattered. And I will give you the land of Israel. And when they have come, he- come there, they will remove from it all its detestable things and all its abominations. And I will give them one heart and a new spirit I will put within them. I will remove the heart of stone from their flesh and give them a heart of flesh that they may walk in my statutes and keep my rules and obey them. And they shall be my people and I will be their God. So you see, the, you thought that was in Ezekiel 36, didn't you? <laughs> it is. But it's also here. And this is, Ezekiel does this over and over and over again, gives us a little glimpse of something and then comes back to it later. And you can see God's promise to bring the people of Israel from, from the scattered nations back to the land to make them one again and to give them the purest expression of worship and devotion to the Lord that they have ever encountered. Um, verse twenty one. But as for those whose heart goes after their detestable things and their abominations, I will bring their deeds upon their own heads, says the Lord God. Okay, so that is uh, has been labeled in a number of places as the Gospel according to Ezekiel, and it's sweet and it's a beautiful reminder that even as God is lifting His hand of grace from Jerusalem. He is also preserving and promising a new and better people. Someday, we haven't seen this yet, but someday, because God keeps all His promises, Amen. That's right. So, the the rest of chapter eleven, uh, we see the glory departing the temple, departing to the city, to the Mount of Olives, and Ezekiel returns. Remember all of what he had been doing. It was in a vision. He didn't actually go to Jerusalem. He saw a vision of all these things. But now he, the vision ends and he's back with the exiles, which brings us to chapter 12, where we wanted to start five minutes ago. So we have these 13 chapters, 403 verses, all of them like the rifle barrel pointed directly at Jerusalem's heart the entire time. God is relentless here. He will take his time later, next week, come on back, uh, with Egypt and with, with uh, Edom and with, with, with Tyre and Sidon. But today, it's Jerusalem. And I just want to give you just a flyover, a sampling as we turn through this. Ezekiel 13.3, against the false prophets. Thus says the Lord God, woe to the foolish prophets who follow their own spirit and have seen nothing. Ezekiel 14, verse 3, against the elders. Son of man, these men have taken idols into their hearts and set the stumbling block of their iniquity before their faces. Just a few verses down in Ezekiel 14, verses 13 and 14, against the land. Son of man, when a land sins against me by acting faithlessly, even if these three men, Noah, Daniel, and Job were in it, they would deliver but their own lives by their righteousness. Ezekiel 16, verses 30 and then 51. So Ezekiel sixteen thirty to Jerusalem. How sick is your heart, declares the Lord God. And verse 51, Samaria has not committed half your sins. To the rebellious in Ezekiel 20, verse 38. I will purge out the rebels from among you. I will bring them out of the land where they sojourn, but they shall not enter the land of Israel. Ezekiel 22, verse 6. Against the powerful. Behold, the princes of Israel in you, every one according to his power, have been bent on shedding blood. And against Jerusalem herself in Ezekiel 24, verse 9. Woe to the bloody city. Woe to the bloody city. Over 25 times in this section here, we have, it's just jam-packed with oracles of woe. The word of the Lord came to me. The word of the Lord came to me. And we're going to see this repeated theme um, through all of these chapters in four parts. You have some lines, some, some fill-in-the-blanks there. And so the first part is God saying to Jerusalem, I chose you. I chose you, I rescued you, and I gave you everything that you needed. I chose you, I rescued you, and I gave you everything that you needed. Part two, you, like an unfaithful bride, have turned away from me over and over and over again. Like an unfaithful bride. That's the second part. The third part, I says the Lord God, have withheld my hand of wrath for centuries. I have withheld my hand of wrath for centuries. And the fourth part, I will restrain my wrath no longer. I will restrain my wrath no longer. We'll see this four-part theme played out in different pictures, different settings, over and over and over again. So if you're going to tune out now, and read Ezekiel later, you know what to expect, because that's what you're going to find. Okay, so, as I said earlier, uh, climb on the tour bus, because uh, we're about to go for a little while, and you'll have a chance to look out the window, take some pictures, grab some memories, and, uh, but, but uh, we are not going to get out and smell every daisy along the way in these next 13 Uh, chapters, but we will. And it's even marked in your notes if you see a little bus by a stop sign. That's our bus stops. (laughs) (laughs) So chapter 12, our portrayals and promises. Um, Ezekiel chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Let me read those. The word of the Lord came to me, son of man, you dwell in the midst of a rebellious house who have eyes to see and see not. Who have ears to hear, but hear not, for they are a rebellious house. Sets the tone again for the the heart of the people of Jerusalem. And so in verses 1 through 16, God gives Ezekiel the task to go out every day like an exile would go out. Go out with your baggage of exile. Pack your bags, I don't know, uh, like a a hobo something with this on a stick over your shoulder. I don't know what it looks like uh, in 600... Uh, B.C. But you go out like an exile, go out every day in front of the people, and go out every evening in front of the people. So he's giving them this picture of going out into exile. Verses 17 to 20 in this chapter. Then Ezekiel is called to eat and drink his bread and his water with quaking and anxiety. Uh, remember what what will be happening to Jerusalem really soon. What will be beginning? Starts with, yeah, starts with an S, ends with an E. Siege. That's right. <laughs> That's right. And, and so the picture that, that Ezekiel is, is living and portraying in front of them is what are, you going, what are the Jerusalemites going to feel like under siege? Um, and then in the last part of chapter 12, uh, verses 21 to 28, Yahweh warns the Israelites that his actions are indeed coming soon. He has withheld his hand. Of wrath for centuries but his actions are coming soon i'm going to read some parts of that for you ezekiel 12 verses 22 and 23 son of man what is this proverb that you have about the land of israel saying the days grow long and every vision comes to nothing do you hear that lots and lots of promises we're growing old we're dying and these visions come to nothing Tell them, therefore, verse 23, Thus says the Lord God, I will put an end to this proverb, and they shall no more use it as a proverb in Israel. But say to them, The days are near, and the fulfillment of every vision. Down to verse 25, For I am the Lord, I will speak the word that I will speak, and it will be performed. Verses 27 and 28, Son of man, behold, They of the house of Israel say, The vision that he sees is for many days from now. And he prophesies of times far off. Therefore say to them, Thus says the Lord God, None of my words will be delayed any longer, but the word that I speak will be performed, declares the Lord God. All right, so that is your chapter 12 tour. Chapters 13 and the first part of 14, False Prophets, Silly myths and heart idols. Uh, In verses 1 to 16 of chapter 13, Ezekiel is prophesying against false prophets. Let me read verse 6 for you. The description, they, that these, these false prophets, have seen false visions and lying divinations. They say, declares the Lord, when the Lord has not sent them, and yet they expect him to fulfill their word. They're just making it up. In fact, you see in verse 2, prophesy against the prophets of Israel who are prophesying and who say to those, sorry, say to those who prophesy from their own hearts. This is their source of prophecy. Just what I feel like. What would feel like an ice cream sandwich or whatever, if this is what I feel like, a prophecy ought to be. Not from the Lord. Okay. Verses 17 to 23 of... Uh, Ezekiel 13, likewise, Ezekiel calls out the daughters of the people who prophesy out of their own hearts. You see that in verse 17, and he tears down a number of superstitions that they use, which we will not go into those details. But this section then continues on into chapter 14, where you see elders from Israel come uh, and sit before Ezekiel. And let me read some parts of that from verses 2 to 5. And the word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, these men have taken their idols into their hearts and set the stumbling block of their iniquity before their faces. Should I indeed let them be consulted by me? Therefore, speak to them and say to them, Thus says the Lord God, Any one of the house of Israel who takes his idols into his heart and sets the stumbling block of his iniquity before his face, and yet comes to the prophet, I, the Lord, will answer him as he comes with a multitude of his idols, that I may lay hold of the hearts of the house of Israel, who are all estranged from me through their idols. Okay. So the Lord sees these men as they are, idolatrous and blind, and says, I'll answer them. In their idols, but I'll take hold of their hearts at the same time. Verse 8 I will set my face against that man, and I will make him a sign and a byword. I'll cut him off from the midst of my people, and you shall know that I am the Lord. And verse 11. That the house of the Lord may no more go astray from me, nor defile themselves any more with their transgressions, but that they may be my people and I may be their God, declares the Lord God. So again, even these these elders who are coming to Ezekiel have idols in their heart. Yet they expect at the same time that the Lord, through the prophet, will give them answers. And even as we started. earlier, the Lord will give him no answers who does not come with a pure heart. Okay. On to verse 12 and following in chapter 14. In 12 through 20, we have four if-then statements of, of uh, Ezekiel of the Lord. And he says, if there was a, a land, this faithless land that I brought the sword to, I think that no, sorry, famine in verse twelve. If I brought famine to that land, um, and Noah, Daniel, and Job were there, even their presence would only save themselves and no one else. And he repeats that that theme uh, with wild beasts in verses verse fifteen, sword in seventeen, disease in nineteen, and then the punchline in verse twenty-one: "For thus says the Lord God." How much more when I send upon Jerusalem my four disastrous acts of judgment, sword, famine, wild beasts, and pestilence, to cut off from it man and beast. So God is again stating the certainty and the completeness of his coming judgment to Jerusalem. This section goes on into chapter 15 where Yahweh compares Jerusalem to the wood from a grapevine. It's useless for framing. It's useless for construction. It's not even strong enough to be used as a hook for a pot rack. Um, And even when you burn it for fuel, it gives very little heat, and all you have left are some charred sticks. This is Jerusalem in the eyes of Yahweh, which brings us to our first bus stop, Ezekiel 16. So 16 verses 1 through 5, Yahweh is putting Jerusalem on trial. He's both prosecutor and judge. So 16, 1 through 5, And the word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, make known to Jerusalem her abominations and say, Thus says the Lord God to Jerusalem, Your origin and your birth are of the land of the Canaanites. Your father was an Amorite and your mother a Hittite. And as for your birth... On the day you were born, your cord was not cut, nor were you washed with water to cleanse you, nor rubbed with salt, nor wrapped in swaddling cloths. No eye pitied you to do any of these things to you out of compassion for you, but you were cast out on the open field, for you were abhorred on the day that you were born. So Yahweh calls out the abominations of Jerusalem and then reminds her that she is of no noble birth. In fact, no one even wanted her. This is the picture of Jerusalem. And yet, six and seven, and when I passed by you and saw you wallowing in your blood, I said to you in your blood, live. I said to you in your blood, live. I made you flourish like a plant of the field. And you grew up and became tall and arrived at full adornment. And it goes on through verses 8 through 14 of Yahweh growing and protecting and caring for Jerusalem, giving her the finest foods and clothing and gems and and on and on to verse 14. And your renown went forth among the nations because of your beauty, for it was perfect through the splendor that I bestowed on you, declares the Lord God. Next word, verse 15 is, but. Right. So, but, verse 15, you trusted in your beauty and played the whore because of your renown and lavished your unfaithfulness on any passerby. Your beauty became his. So after... The Lord had done everything to take this abandoned, worthless baby and to nurture her into a queen, an elegant, renowned queen. She no longer trusted in him, but trusted in the beauty and everything that she had been given um, in her renown, in herself, in her beauty, and like with, with, with no context for gratitude, no allegiance to her bridegroom, um, she turned. Uh, it, it's likened unto um, Romans 1.21, who, for those who knew God, gave, didn't honor him as God, gave no thanks to him, and then were, their minds were darkened and their foolish hearts given over. She is robustly unfaithful with any and all without hesitation or distinction. And in verses 16 through 19 here, Jerusalem, this this faithless bride, takes every good thing that she was given. Every good thing she was given. Garments, jewels, oil, incense, food, even her children. And she turned them into tools of harlotry and abominations beyond description. Never satisfied with her wickedness. Verses 30 to 34 describe her as brazen, And insatiable in her unfaithfulness to the point of actually bribing her lovers for attention. So turning the typical economy of illicit relationships on its head. She is paying for her unfaithfulness. This is how hungry Jerusalem had become for something, for anything other than the Lord who had created and blessed them. Verses 35 And following begins the the sentencing aspect of this trial. Therefore, O prostitute, hear the word of the Lord. Verse 37. Therefore, behold, I will gather all your lovers with whom you took pleasure, all those you loved and all those you hated. I will gather them against you from every side. Verse 39. And I will give you into their hands, and they shall throw down your vaulted chamber and break down your lofty places. Everything that she had taken now her pride in um, amongst these lovers, and it's the picture of the nations around, specifically Assyria, Babylon, Egypt, and they will devour her and destroy her. This is the picture that God is giving to Jerusalem. Verses 42 and 43. So I will satisfy my wrath on you, and my jealousy shall depart from you, and I will be calm and will be no more angry, because you have not remembered the days of your youth, but have enraged me with all these things. Therefore, behold, I have returned your deeds on your head, declares the Lord God. So Jerusalem has gone after the ways, the abominations, and the idols of the other nations. And now God will bring those nations as instruments of his judgment upon them. And the Lord continues by comparing Jerusalem unfavorably, in verse 46, to Samaria and to Sodom. Look in 46. Your elder sister is Samaria. Uh, who lived with her daughters to the north of you, and your younger sister who lived to the south of you is Sodom with her daughters. Verse 47. Not only did you walk in their ways and do according to their abominations, within a very little time you were more corrupt than they in all your ways. Verses 53 to 55. Talks of restoration, but with a twist. Listen carefully. I will restore their fortunes, both the fortunes of Sodom and her daughters, and the fortunes of Samaria and her daughters, and I will restore your own fortunes in their midst, that you may bear your disgrace and be ashamed of all that you have done, becoming a consolation to them. As for your sisters, Sodom and her daughters shall return to their former state, and Samaria and her daughters shall return to their former state, and you and your daughters shall return... To your former state. Now that, that may pass right over you and you're thinking, well, what? Well, the, the point here is that Jerusalem is no longer special. Yeah, I, God says, yes, I will restore you just the same way I will restore the remnant who might be in Samaria, the remnant who might be from Sodom. You are no longer special to me in that sense. And this is Jerusalem's shame. That in in this sense, she is no longer a chosen people in this sense, as described here. Verses 59 to 63, however, uh, turn the tables for us. For thus says the Lord, I will deal with you as you have done. You who have despised the oath in breaking the covenant, yet I will remember my covenant with you in the days of your youth. I will establish for you an the everlasting covenant. Then you will remember your ways and be ashamed when you take your sisters, both your elder and your younger, and I give them to you as daughters, but not on account of the covenant with you. I will establish my covenant with you, and you shall know that I am the Lord, that you may remember and be confounded and never open your mouth again because of your shame. When I atone for you All that you have done, declares the Lord. New word in Ezekiel, atone. So again, God is unfolding story by story, picture by picture, what his restoration and reconciliation will be with his own people. And now we have a picture of atonement for the repentant. Okay. Takeaways here for you is whether... Corporately or individually, we must continually keep our eyes trained on the goodness of the Lord. Remind ourselves daily of his steadfast love, his promises, his character, and his warnings. Two, second takeaway, take care not to give your love to another um, ever, no portion of it. Saturate your heart in the mighty deeds of the Lord that you find in Scripture, and that you've seen in your life. Third, remind yourself, child of the king, that the royal robes, the fine gems, the sumptuous diet, the renown with which the Lord speaks of you, none of these were your doing. They were all given to you. Um, we were all abandoned children of the side of the road in our blood, abhorred and cast away. And the Lord came and said to us, Live. And he clothed us, and he cared for us, and he made us new. Okay, that is Ezekiel 16, and it's wonderful. We could spend six weeks on it alone. But back on the bus we go. Ezekiel 17 uh, is a story of Judah's final, final king, Zedekiah who had been put in place by Nebuchadnezzar, who rebelled and sought an alliance with Egypt, and then was to be plucked up um, and uprooted. There's more in there about eagles and twigs. Uh, as you read that, just eagles and twigs are over here. The vine story is in the middle. And then, and then God talks about picking his own twig and creating his own kingdom at the end of, of this chapter uh, in verses 22 to 24. So as you read that later this afternoon, I know you'll want to fill in the gaps. Just, just think. Eagles and twigs, and then in the middle we have this story of a vine, and now we've got God and a twig over here, okay? Don't, don't let that trip you up. Um, on to chapter 18, God's justice. Second bus stop we have. Everybody knows this chapter. I'm going to challenge you that you may not know it right. (laughs) You may not not know the the main point of it. Um, uh, Verse uh, 4 has often been the summary for us. Behold, all souls are mine. The soul of the Father as well as the soul of the Son is mine. The soul who sins shall die. Right? It sounds like a dire warning. I'm going to kill all the sinners. Um, uh, Hang with me, and let's start back in verse 1. The word of the Lord came to me. What do you mean by repeating this proverb concerning the land of Israel? The fathers have eaten sour grapes, and the children's teeth are set on edge. As I live, declares the Lord God, this proverb shall no more be used by you in Israel. And then it goes on. Behold, all souls are mine soul, the father's soul, the son, the soul who sins shall die. So the two questions out of verse 2 come to us is, what is the point of the proverb? The proverb is, the, the fathers have eaten sour grapes, the children's teeth are set on edge. What, what's the point of this proverb? The proverb is, my dad did something and I'm being punished for it. That's, that's the, the point. Um, there's nothing I can do to escape some generational curse. It's just, it's just my fate. I come from a, a family of horribly wicked people, and it doesn't matter how I live my life. Second question is, why is Yahweh asking Israel about its repeated use? Why does he bring it up, this question? Why are you doing this? Well, it's because it's wrong. <laughs> That's the short answer. Uh, it exposes their hearts, seeking to, to put blame elsewhere, to not be responsible for their own sin, but also to not recognize the individual righteousness of those who fear the Lord. So, we have some course correction that's going to take place here. Um, you know the, rest, the, the, the main part of this, verses 5 to 9, there's a righteous man. Who lives, and, and God says, he shall surely live. Then he has this righteous man, father's a wicked son, who is in all ways an antithesis to his father. And in verse 13, uh, he shall not live. He has done all these abominations. He shall surely die. His blood shall be upon himself. And then verses 14 to 18, that man, this wicked man, before he perished, had a son of his own. Who does not follow after his father's steps, but follows instead after his grandfather's steps and is a righteous man. And you'll see in verse 17, right at the end of 17, he shall not die for his father's iniquity, he shall surely live. Okay, and next, Yahweh takes Israel to task over the wrong thought that the son should also suffer for the sins of the father and their complaints that God is not just. Here's what we come to learn, and the argument that I'm going to make. When we hear that phrase, the soul that sins shall die, our ears hear the word die. And I'm saying that the the emphasis in that phrase is on who sins. God's point here is, the soul who sins... Shall die. In fact, I might even go so far as to say we could, we could throw a parenthetical only in there. And that God's point in Ezekiel 18 is it's only the soul who sins that shall die. All souls are mine the Father, the Son, the grandson, and it's only the souls who sin that shall die. So uh, far from being A universal judgment of all generations of all people no matter where you've come from uh, whether it's something far more wicked or more righteous than you God is saying there is a personal level to salvation that that God is perfectly sovereign over each soul and that he has no, de- no pleasure in the death of the wicked. You see it in verse 23. In fact, at the end, verse 32, well, we'll get to that. Let me start in verse 30. Therefore, I will judge you, O house of Israel, everyone, right, everyone personally, according to his ways, declares the Lord God. Repent and turn from all your transgressions, lest iniquity be your ruin, Cast away from you all the transgressions that you have committed and make yourselves a new heart and a new spirit. Why will you die? Why will you die, O house of Israel? For I have no pleasure in the death of anyone, declares the Lord God. So turn and live. So the call goes forth to each and every one. It doesn't matter. What your, what your past has been. It doesn't matter what your previous generations have been, uh, what you have seen, what you were raised in. You are called personally, individually, to repent, to turn from whatever it is that's keeping you from God and to live. And this is God's call to Jerusalem through Ezekiel. All right, we're back on the bus for chapter 19, which is pretty short. It's a lamentation uh, over Israel. It speaks of Judah in verses 1 through 9 as a lioness with two cubs, one who is eventually taken away to Egypt, one who is taken away to Babylon. That will sound familiar, like Kings Jehoahaz and Jehoiachin. Verses 10 through 14, the lament takes up a different picture where Judah is a vine that had... Everything that it needed, but ruined itself and became plucked up and burned. A picture again. Do you see that? Parts of these themes that that we we started with um, back from chapter 12, um, that the vine had everything it needed, and yet in its rebellion, it was ruined and plucked up and burned. Okay. Final bus stop chapter 20, but uh, we've, we've got more after it, but we can't, we can't spend the whole entire time on that. The elders from chapter 14 are back again uh, in front of Ezekiel. Uh, they seek to hear from the Lord, and uh, we are going to see a cycle that we've already talked about, but it, it, here it is again. We'll see it five times, actually. Verses 5 through 10, Ezekiel 20. Thus says the Lord God, On the day when I chose Israel, I swore to the offspring of the house of Jacob, making myself known to them in the land of Egypt. I swore to them, saying, I am the Lord your God. On that day I swore to them that I would bring them out of the land of Egypt into a land that I had searched out for them, a land flowing with milk and honey, the most glorious of all lands. And I said to them, cast away the detestable things your eyes feast on, every one of you, and do not defile yourselves with the idols of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. But they rebelled against me and were not willing to listen to me. None of them cast away the detestable things their eyes feasted on, nor did they forsake the idols of Egypt. Then I said, I would pour out my wrath upon them and spend my anger against them in the midst Of the land of Egypt. But I acted for the sake of my name, that it should not be profaned in the sight of the nations among whom they lived, in whose sight I made myself known to them in bringing them out of the land of Egypt. So I led them out of the land of Egypt and brought them into the wilderness. Okay, this is our first cycle that we have just already talked about. God choosing and determining to rescue uh, Israel from Egypt and put her in the most glorious of lands, if she would just repent of her idolatry, put away her detestable things, and Israel rebels and refuses to repent, yet because the Lord does not wish to profane his name among the nations. What does that mean? It means the nations would see, oh, the God of Israel, all he does is destroy his people. They won't, yeah, he's, he's, he's all well and good until somebody disobeys, and then he destroys them. And so that his name would be profaned in that way, that he, his mercy would not be known. He spares the rebellious nation, withholds his wrath, and rescues his people from Egypt. Cycle 2 is in verses 11 to 17. It's a lot like the first, except with a plot twist. They were in the wilderness. Um, God gave them everything they needed to follow him and to live, yet they rebelled. God withheld his full wrath for the sake of his own name, except he didn't, though he did not destroy them, neither did he lead them into the promised land. Cycle number three is verses 18 to 26, a lot like the previous with another twist. God called the next wilderness generation to repentance. And let me read verses 19 and 20 from Ezekiel 20. 19 and 20. I am the Lord your God. Walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules and keep my sabbaths holy so that they may be a sign between you and me that you may know that I am the Lord your God. But this generation too rebelled. God relented from pouring out his full wrath, but with a couple surprising comments. Uh, read with me verse 23. Moreover, I swore to them in the wilderness that I would scatter them among the nations and disperse them through the countries. So even now, though that that was, this, is, this is wilderness generation stuff, though it was not immediately fulfilled, God is already pointing that this, is, this will be part of your future. You will be scattered among the nations, because of your hard-heartedness. And verses 25 and 26, Moreover, I gave them statutes that were not good and rules by which they could not have life, and I defiled them through their very gifts in their offering up all their firstborn, that I might devastate them. I did it that they might know that I am the Lord. Those are hard verses, and we know that God is not the author of sin. However, there's something that's happening here in the wilderness generation of God turning people over to their own sins. This is a Romans 1 24 to 32 situation going on here of hardened hearts being turned over to that which they love. Cycle 4 is in verses 27 to 29. Again, a lot like the others, and God is pointing out the wicked idolatry of Israel even after being given this most glorious of all lands. That they, almost like a land grab, ran to the first high place they could find, the first hilltop they could find, to make an altar uh, to a foreign god. It's like they were just compelled. They couldn't stop themselves. And then in verses 30 and 31, we're now back to after, after that whole history lesson of those four cycles, we're now back to Ezekiel prophesying to the elders right in front of him. Verses 30 and 31. Therefore say to the house of Israel, Thus says the Lord God, Will you defile yourselves after the manner of your fathers and go whoring after the detestable things? When you present your gifts and offer up your children in the fire, You defile yourselves with all your idols to this day, and shall I be inquired of by you, O house of Israel? As I live, declares the Lord God, I will not be inquired of by you. And God is just once more pointing out the duplicity of these elders who are living a detestable life, holding idols in their heart, and then... Still coming to the prophet of Yahweh and saying, uh, tell us, tell us the word of the Lord. And God says, I, I, I'm not going to be inquired of by you. That you have, you have changes to make first. Now comes what I think are the two most stunning verses in all of Ezekiel. So if you're, if you're pausing, if you're, if you're heading off to a nap, this would be a good time to stay with me. Okay? Um, <clears throat> Verses 32 and 33 with an unfortunate, uh, in, my, in my case, page break, but also an unfortunate paragraph break between the two. Listen carefully. Verse 32. Again, to the Israel Israel elders. What is, in, what is in your mind shall never happen. The thought, let us be like the nations, like the tribes of the countries, and worship wood and stone. God is saying, that's never going to happen. You can't be my people and be like the nations. It's never going to happen because, verse 33, As I live, declares the Lord God, surely with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm and with wrath poured out, I will be king over you. Full stop. Oh, there's more, but full stop there in that, that idea. While these are Ezekiel's words to the elders of Israel, the principles here are universal and eternal. First, and we've already said it, the people of God will never be like the nations. You can't have both. The people of God will never be like the nations because the Lord will not allow us to fiddle in the middle, right? That's not how it works. Uh, it's from 1 Kings 18, Elijah tells them, when will you stop limping along between two things? If, if Yahweh is God, then, then worship him. If Baal, then worship him. And the same thing is said to us. right? If, if Yahweh is God, then worship him. But if it's your job, if it's your wealth, if it's your reputation, if it's your family, if you really believe that that's your God, stop pretending. You'll be called to repent, but stop pretending and go worship that. See how it goes. Don't fiddle around in the middle. Saying one thing and living another. So that's our first principle. The people of God will never be like the nation. Second, which is closely related, I already almost said out loud, there is no middle ground. With Yahweh, there is no middle ground because the Lord God declares strong action to separate wheat from chaff. He will come with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. These are echoes um, through Exodus and Deuteronomy. This is this is language of of a new Exodus uh, to rescue. And, however, with wrath poured out. Yahweh saves, and even as he saves, he is judging. Um, So, And finally, he says, and I will be king over you. I will not be your best buddy over you, or your golf partner, or your co-pilot, or the big guy upstairs, or whatever other cute uh, thing that you think. God will be king over each one. Those, those who bow the knee to him in repentance and those who bow with hard hearts. God will be king over each and every one. Okay, let's go on. Verses 34 to 39. God continues to, to describe how this will work itself out. I will bring you out from the peoples and gather you out of the countries where you are scattered with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm and with... Wrath poured out, and I will bring you into the wilderness of the peoples, and there I will enter into judgment with you face to face. As I entered into judgment with your fathers in the wilderness of the land of Egypt, so I will enter into judgment with you, declares the Lord. I will make you pass under the rod, and I will bring you into the bond of the covenant. I will purge out the rebels from among you, And those who transgress against me, I will bring them out of the land where they sojourn, but they shall never enter the land of Israel. Then you will know that I am the Lord. So, again, God is speaking, I think, of a future event where the people of Israel will be gathered uh, into the wilderness. Again, this is Exodus language. God will enter into judgment. Passing under the rod is the picture of the shepherd at the sheepfold gate. And the sheep are coming in, and he's got his staff, and he is examining and he's sorting. Oh, no, you're not one of mine. You don't, you're not in this sheepfold. Yes, you come Come in. And so there is an examination, again, a personal, meticulously sovereign Salvation that the Lord will accomplish among his people. And he will bring them into the bond of the covenant. And the rebels will be done away with. Okay. Um, Yeah, we have time. Verses 40 to 44. For on my holy mountain, the mountain height of Israel, declares the Lord God, there all the house of Israel, all of them, shall serve me in the land. There I will accept them, and there I will require your contributions and your choicest, the choicest of your gifts with all your sacred offerings. As a pleasing aroma, I will accept you when I bring you out from the peoples and gather you out of the countries where you have been scattered, and I will manifest my holiness among you in the sight of the nations, and you shall know that I am the Lord." When I bring you into the land of Israel, the country that I swore to give your fathers, and there you shall remember your ways and all your deeds with which you have defiled yourselves, and you shall loathe yourselves for all the evils that you have committed, and you shall know that I am the Lord when I deal with you for my name's sake and not according to your evil ways, nor according to your corrupt deeds, O house of Israel, declares the Lord God. So the, the idea here includes that the salvation, right? We, we saw atonement earlier. The salvation is not according to the wicked deeds for the repentant. For those who have turned from their wicked ways, they are no longer held against them. And they are brought into the bond of covenant and not their sins are not reckoned against them. And that experience, one commentator uh, adds of divine mercy drives the true covenant people to their knees because they loathe themselves and they are rejoicing in their salvation. Okay, we're on the bus to the end. Uh, next three chapters, very fast. These are pictures of judgment. Chapter 21 is the sword of the Lord. Uh, an example is from, from verse 5. All flesh shall know that I am the Lord. I have drawn my sword from its sheath, and it shall not be sheathed again. Chapter 22, Ezekiel declares that the people of Jerusalem have blood on their hands, and in God's sight they have become like dross. You know, dross, right? We talk about dross once in a while. You take a metal that's mostly pure, but not entirely pure, and you melt it, and up bubbles dross, things that are impurity. And God is saying, Jerusalem, you are like Dross. I have the crucible here, and I'm just going to scrape you off, and you're going to land in the ditch. That's that's what I'm doing with you. Finally, chapter 23, uh, Israel and Judah are depicted as the most immoral sisters you can imagine. Um, You can see it in chapter uh, 23, verse 4. They're named Ahola, was the name of the elder, And Aholaba, the name of her sister, they became mine and they bore sons and daughters. As for their names, Aholah is Samaria and Aholabah is Jerusalem. In case you're wondering, the key to this parable, uh, Yahweh gives it right there in verse 4. But they are exceedingly wicked. Uh, They give themselves to foreign lovers whom then God turns against them as instruments of his judgment and uh, they are put away with. (coughs) Finally, let's close out with chapter 24. Verses 1 and 2, were a few years later now. In the ninth year, the tenth month, the tenth day of the month, the word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, write down the name of this day, this very day. The king of Babylon has laid siege to Jerusalem this very day. So, I didn't have internet, didn't have twi- uh, Twitter, but somehow, right, somehow, The Lord, omniscient and omnipresent, knew that it's this day that the siege is starting. And here comes the word to Ezekiel. And then the terrifying parable of Jerusalem's destruction is in verses 3 to 5. Utter a parable to the rebellious house and say to them, Thus says the Lord, Set on the pot, set it on, pour in water also, Put put in it the pieces of meat, All the good pieces, the thigh and the shoulder, fill it with choice bones. Take the choicest one of the flock, pile the logs under it, boil it well. Seethe also its bones in it. The certainty of the judgment is given to us down in verse 14. I am the Lord, I have spoken, it shall come to pass, I will do it. I will not go back, I will not spare, I will not relent. According to your ways and your deeds, You will be judged, declares the Lord God. And we have a final piece that we have to cover to see the last picture that Ezekiel is for the people of Jerusalem. Verses 15 to 18 The word of the Lord came to me Son of man, behold, I'm about to take the delight of your eyes away from you at a stroke. Yet you shall not mourn or weep, nor shall tears run down. Sigh, but not aloud. Make no mourning for the dead. Bind on your turban and put on your shoes, on your feet. Do not cover your lips nor eat the bread of men. So I spoke to the people in the morning and at evening my wife died. And on the next morning I did as I was commanded. The people, of course, ask, what is going on? And why is Ezekiel not even responding to the death of his wife? And in verses 21 to 24, we're given this answer. Say to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord God, behold, I will profane my sanctuary, the pride of your power, the delight of your eyes, and the yearning of your soul, and your sons and your daughters whom you left behind shall fall by the sword, and you shall do as I have done. You shall not cover your lips nor eat the bread of men. Your turbans shall be on your heads and your shoes on your feet. You shall not mourn or weep, but you shall rot away in your iniquities and groan to one another. Thus shall Ezekiel be to you a sign. According to all that he has done, you shall do. When this comes, then you will know that I am the Lord God. And so this final symbol that Ezekiel has before the people of how he is to respond Without outward mourning is how the, the exiles are called to respond to the death of the wicked, rebellious people in Jerusalem. And to the destruction of the delight of their eyes. That is this golden, beautiful temple sit on, sitting on the hilltop in the city. <clears throat> Alright. Come to the end of these chapters. And the end of our hour. Let's pray. Father, thank you that we are not judged according to our own deeds. Thank you that you have sent your Son to live a perfect life and die a sacrificial death and be raised victorious, that he would bear the burden of sins, that you would cast our sins behind your back, separate us as the East from the West from them because of Jesus for those who trust in you. Father, I pray that even as we have read of your judgment upon Jerusalem and the hard-heartedness and the call to repent, to turn to live, that anyone listening here who is not yours would hear that call and be yours. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.